So we are now in week four of our conversation of Scott Stoner's book, Your Living Compass, which aims to help us use our life to discern God's movement and a fuller life for ourselves. We have discussed our spirituality as a form of true north in this compass, our vocation and our organization and our body as guideposts. Today we come to think of our body and the way it handles stress. Now most of the other areas we have talked about so far in the series have been ways to use our lives to discern how God is speaking to us, how to reflect on where God is calling you to simplify or to reorient yourself. This one, however, stress resilience is more about learning how to get out of our own way so we can hear God clearly. Now this section in Stoner's book covers a wealth of important topics emotional reactivity as opposed to emotional responsibility. Between stimulus and response, he writes, there is a space. In that space is the power to choose our response. It covers the ways in which we sometimes find ourselves chasing storms, seeking them out, absorbing each other's emotions. It discusses the way nine times out of 10, if a person or couple finds themselves in need of counseling or support, it is because of some unacknowledged major life change. He speaks of the way in which chemicals from one fight or flight incident, a bad driver on the road, a surprise comment from a friend, they can hijack us all day. My favorite, however, is the way Stoner explains how stress is really a cycle, a single life change, an incident that triggers us, a cycle we do not acknowledge until it is too late. So listen now to how this reading might be speaking to you. Not quite yet. <laughs> We're going to get there soon. Another way of putting it is this. Being something of a bike nerd, I love to read about biking. One article I read warned that many riders lose valuable energy during times of peak exertion, the very minutes when they can least afford the loss. When pedaling up a steep hill, there is a tendency to tense your hands, your arms, and your upper body to grab the handlebars with a fierce grip tensing the upper body even though it drains energy from the lower body where it is needed the most. Now, if you consciously take time to relax your upper body on a steep hill, the climb becomes much more manageable. Another way of thinking of this is perhaps you are familiar with the story of the boy and the frog. When frog meat was considered a delicacy, a young boy wanted to surprise his mother with a special dinner of a frog. Throwing a frog into a pot of boiling water, to his dismay, the frog jumped right back out of the water and hopped out the door. His mother's dear friend told him the secret. Place the frog into a pot of cool water and let it enjoy swimming around. Then gradually turn up the heat. Within a matter of minutes, the water will begin boiling and the frog, not noticing the danger until it's too late, will die and you will have a wonderful dinner for your mother. Will you pray with me? <laughs> God, we feel the heat. <laughs> We're feeling it, so please, in these moments, be in this meditation, these words I speak, and all of our thoughts, that we might instead focus our very selves on you. Amen. Now, this man didn't intentionally take on too much. No one does. He simply allowed himself to say yes to the things he wanted to do. He'd always wanted to coach his daughter's soccer team. And that bill that was at the state house, well, he could not be more passionate about the need for its passage. 
When his mother said she'd like to visit to look at moving out here, he was, of course, thrilled. So he wasn't quite sure how he had gotten there that day. On his way to the car, trying to loosen his tie with one hand, eating a sloppy sandwich from Subway with the other, finishing a phone call for work with his mother on the other line, waiting for directions from the airport, and a pouting kid trailing behind him who would be late to soccer again, as always. It wasn't even a busy day, really. It was just a normal one. So why did he have his dinner in his lap, an angry kid in the backseat, and a load of work screaming silently at him from the trunk? Friends, it is so not hard to think of examples for this week's sermon topic. Do you remember in March of 2020 when the world shut down and it felt like we were frogs thrown right into the boiling water? But we adjusted and it turned out to just be a warm bath that is continuing to get hotter until we find ourselves here with record high case numbers and hospitalizations, parents unable to send their kids to school for a week because of a runny nose, some of us all but locked in our homes and some of us frustrated that things aren't completely back to normal. No wonder we are having breakdowns at school board meetings and public events. I get tense just talking about it. You see me gripping the pulpit here? How many of you have found yourself a bit shorter tempered than normal? Yeah, I see a few hands. What about more tired than normal? Mm -hmm. There was an op-ed in the New York Times today titled, Nobody trusts anybody now and we're all very tired. That was its name, that was the title. Nobody trusts anybody now and we're all very tired. Now Jesus has a fair amount to say about this stress and anxiety. Considering that levels of stress and anxiety were not nearly as high then, when the disciples are afraid or worried about storms or food shortages, he instructs them to have more faith. And of course he instructs us all the same, saying, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Do not worry about tomorrow, and don't be anxious about what you will say. He describes worry and anxiety as the thorns that choke the seeds of faith. So when it comes to discernment and the fact that today's school children have as much anxiety as psychiatric patients in the 50s, that should tell us we're probably a bit out of touch with what God has in store for us, no? But when it comes to how to do this, I find what he does perhaps more helpful than what Jesus says. If you look at our passage today, he just stops. He just stops. And once you start looking for it, it is everywhere, thronged by crowds, penned in by need. The scriptures say repeatedly, Jesus stops. Jesus stood still. Here, as he is teaching, he is surrounded by an angry mob trying to trap him with a woman's life at stake. And so he doodles. He bends down, and he draws in the dirt with his finger, which perhaps is not all that far from my Bonnie lies over the ocean. <laughs> it had to seem equally absurd to them. Who knows what he is doing in the dusty earth other than that he is stopping, he's pausing until he knows what to say. Now I wonder if he had any idea how many theses would be written about what he could possibly have been drawing. But I like to think he was just stopping, taking the time to breathe and calm down. 
because as it turns out, he is demonstrating in so doing one of the most important and effective ways of breaking a stress cycle. Not only his, but the angry mobs. Now in their book, Burnout, Breaking the Stress Cycle, Emily and Amelia Nagoski write that research is discovering what most of us long suspected. Our emotions are physical. Just about every system in your body, they write, responds to the chemical and electrical cascade activated by emotion. Emotion is automatic, instantaneous, it happens everywhere and it affects everything. Speaking to Brene Brown in an interview last year, they explained that emotions are cycles that happen in your body. They are neurological events, and when I say neurological, I mean not just happening in your brain, but your whole nervous system. The intelligence of your body extends to the top of your head to the tip of your toes and beyond your skin. Emotions are an involuntary neurological response with a beginning, a middle, and an end. And exhaustion, burnout, this feeling we have right now of being constantly in high alert, it happens because emotions have a physical cycle and we are stuck. As they write, in short, emotions are tunnels. If you go all the way through them, you get to the light at the end. Exhaustion happens when we get stuck in the middle. This is why they note when you invest 100% in a project and it's finally finished, you often collapse, some of us even getting sick. It's not because the stressor is gone and you are relieved, but it's because your body finally deals with the stress that you've been feeling. You were stuck in stress mode and you have to finish the cycle. They write, your body doesn't know that hitting submit means you've accomplished something. It only knows that you are finally allowing it to feel what it has been suppressing. This is why surprisingly lowering modern stress is less about getting rid of the stressors. It's less about getting rid of the stressors. The pandemic isn't ending any time in the immediate future and that angry mob is still there for Jesus than it is in dealing with the emotions, processing them through from beginning to middle to end. Now, in order to do this, Nagoski's identified seven things that work to help our bodies release our stress cycles, most of which are identified by Stoner in the book. Are you ready? Physical activity, my body lies over the ocean, positive social interaction, laughter, belly laughter, Affection. In particular, they name a 20-second hug, long enough to be awkward and uncomfortable. <laughs> a big old cry. Creative expression. And one of the most important and easiest to do, breathing. Especially long, slow breaths in and out. As they note, breathing is taught by mostly two camps, yoga instructors and special forces military, because it is hands down one of the best ways to regulate emotions. Not only does it regulate our central nervous system, in so doing, it mimics the release we get at the end of physical exercise, that flight response, and so it allows our bodies to process the chemicals that are released by interacting with the stressor. Jesus was faced by an angry mob that wants to and eventually will kill him. And he keeps his calm 
by stopping, relaxing his body and breathing as he cycles uphill. In other settings, when it is only his own life at stake, he escapes, he vanishes, really. Usually he retreats after the fact to rest and to pray, but here, when escape is not an option, because of the woman's life in his hands, he plays in the sand, slowing the time between action and response, bending down again to draw in the sand, even as the mob leaves one by one the older ones first. In 2021, we are all the father in the car, whether we have kids or not, whether we are working or not, whether we are long past our childbearing years or nowhere near them. The water has been heating up on us and the stressors aren't going away anytime soon. But what I'm praying for each one of us today is that we might know the relief that woman felt as one by one the threat on her life receded. The relief that floods her body, the long cry she likely had later that afternoon, the hug she had with her best friend, because if you experience that, that means you will have released some of the tension that we are all carrying these days. And if that release is still elusive, I wish you breath, long and deep and slow, because it turns out that just might be the same thing. Thanks be to God. There have been some big moments of stress and worry and conflict um, in the 30 plus years um, I was in the school district. And, you know, I, I absorbed it sometimes in my body. I could feel it in my body, um, my shoulders, the tenseness of that. And I, I became more intentional about some exercise and some self-care. That was the only way I really got through some of those tough moments. And I know students started to think I was crazy, but if they were really agitated, they'd come in and speak with me. I'd say, listen, we're gonna take 10 seconds here, and we're each gonna breathe 10 times. And they would look at me like I'm crazy. And you know, we'd just sort of breathe, and, and it just was a moment to just try to find a little centeredness in the conversation that was gonna to have to proceed. Not that that made the conversation any easier, but it's all about your being in the moment and trying to really engage. And I think that allowed me not to just take the stress from the other person or for them to take my stress, but for us to just try to let the stress go sideways so we could focus more deeper into what the real issues are. For me in approaching retirement, I really felt I needed to disengage I'd had such an intense job and was so programmed for like 40 years total. I just wanted a completely different experience. So I had this opportunity to take a, an epic hike, 33 days of walking across Spain in what's called the, the Camino de Santiago. And what I really was looking for, I think, was a chance to reflect, not, not to dwell on the past, but I wanted to reflect so that the future could become more, more real and more interesting and more, um, more present. Um, so I didn't have like the spiritual aha, but it was really more of an opening, I think, to the world. And I, that was really what I was after. And I could really feel 
um, in my body. I think I'd been stressed for many years because my shoulders were relaxed. I think I listened better. I laughed more. You know, you're just more present. So it's like a habit of being that you really are trying to embrace. And so that, um, I think, has become a bit of a mantra for me. So as you think about every day, you think about starting and living the day in as fully as possible. So it's, I think it's important to find find that those moments of whether it's levity or, or appreciation of others and if you can end your day with knowing that some good things have happened um, then it really makes all the difference.